Let's open our Bibles to Romans chapter 14. Earlier this morning I began our worship with Galatians chapter 3 and verse 28 and Colossians chapter 3 and verse 11 where the apostle listed a number of things that could and did cause division among early Christians and disregarded all of them to say that in Christ Jesus we are one. And I hope that with that foundation I can pursue a sorry list of issues that I have had to face in my lifetime, some of which you haven't heard of, some of which you haven't thought of, but I hope that you'll understand that I have had to face them, and so I want to share them with you, and I hope that we can laugh at some of them, but in all of them, know that none of them, or all of them combined, should not separate us who are in Christ Jesus our Lord from the foundation of the world. Amen. And since our baptisms, we have committed ourselves to Him. We are to set our affection on things above and not worry about the little things on this earth. And I hope that we can accomplish that. Here in Romans chapter 14, let me remind you this day of verses 3 and 4. Romans 14, verses 3 and 4. Let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not. And let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth. For God hath received him. Who art thou that judgest another man's servant? To his own master he standeth or falleth. Yea, he shall be holden up. For God is able to make him stand. Amen. Amen and amen. In the third verse, it says that God has received him. And God has only received any of us by the merits of the Lord Jesus Christ and that alone. It's not by our exercise of any Christian liberty. It is by the merits of the Lord Jesus Christ God has received those that eat and those that don't eat, as described in that third verse. In the fourth verse, the Lord is our master and we are his servants and God is able to hold us up And God is able to make any one of us stand, no matter what position we might take on matters of liberty, because they are irrelevant to our standing before God, because our standing before God is entirely due to the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the authority and power of His name, and the righteousness of His shed blood, and His perpetual intercession for us, are the grounds upon which we stand, and not these little things that come up among men. There is no way that the list of examples I can give you will be exhaustive, though it's going to sound exhaustive. The solution for each example cannot be exhaustive, or this study would go far beyond what it deserves. Due to the information explosion that we live in today, and the internet that allows us to tap that information explosion, massive arguments, meaning lengthy pages, many pages, can be put together for any side of any topic I bring up. It is one of the dangers and errors and temptations of the age in which we live, and I hope that you'll remember that. I think I'm probably as capable as anyone in here to put together pages of arguments for a matter of liberty. But I promise you, the same number of pages can be put together for any side of them. And that's the most incredible thing about all the worthless information that is available on the Internet. And we want to keep that in mind of the danger 
of going on the internet and think that you're doing research. That isn't research. All you're doing is reading blogs of other ignoramuses, and of course you filter them by the fact that you have found some ignoramuses that agree with you. And once you find a two or three that agree with you, you then quote the Bible verse that says, In the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. And, and we're in serious trouble when we do that. Right. We shouldn't do it. Do you know what the apostle would say to us from, by the Holy Spirit of God? Ask no question for conscience sake. Right. Just go ahead and do whatever the Lord's led you to do at this particular time. Make sure you're doing it to the Lord. Make sure you're doing it in such a way that you wouldn't cause anyone else to stumble. Would to God that Christians and our church members today could laugh about most or all of these examples of modern liberty issues. Remember, you can take any side of these issues that you want, as long as you keep it to yourself and do not go on a crusade and allow other brothers and sisters their liberty short of sin and short of offending or causing any to be weak. The key question we want to ask at each point, do I fully love and appreciate those that hold the opposite position on this particular issue? Do I love them anyway, even if they're different than me on this particular issue? Do you remember the issues that have already been raised this morning? Greek or Jew? Bond or free? Circumcised or not circumcised? Barbarian or Scythian? Male or female? Those are huge differences. And some of those are religious, biblical, Jehovah-instituted differences. All gone in Christ Jesus. The Lord Jesus Christ is the end all. The Lord Jesus Christ should be the theme, the person, the object of our conversation. He should be the passion that motivates us to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ. Why would you want to know more about anything else in comparison to knowing about the Lord Jesus Christ? He is what we ought to share with each other. He is the one that we ought to be on a crusade for. And that is to promote the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are to grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. All of these things that I'm going to list, all put together, don't deserve your attention. But the Lord Jesus Christ deserves all your attention. And if we're honest with Him and sincere before the Lord, we know that it's a struggle to maintain the Lord Jesus Christ as the object of our affection, attention, thoughts, and efforts. And Lord, help us to that end. And let's mock these things as I go through them. And that today will be very practical. And I'm sorry about that, but I'm not very sorry. I'm convicted to go through these because I have seen it cause division. I have seen it cause despising of people that come to the Lord's table before. And we're going to come to the Lord's table in a couple of weeks. We are not doing it today because it is a congregational ordinance. It is not for your private worship. The Lord's Supper is a congregational ordinance for the common union of brothers coming together and remembering the Lord's death together until He comes. And since we have a number traveling and a number sick, we're not having it today. But I have seen these things cause problems before. Let me, let's go. Are we a 501c3 church? Is that a conscience issue to, to others? Absolutely. Have we had people come through our doors and the first question they ask is, Are you a 501c3 church? First question. 
Why in the world would they ask that first? Because they are political anarchists who are rebellious and seditious against our government, who misunderstand the Bible because they haven't read it, and they want to measure godliness by whether we have IRS approval as a tax-exempt organization or not. 501c3 simply means that you have filled out a form and asked the IRS to make a ruling that you are tax-exempt. That's all that it's doing. In both Testaments, God's people have always availed themselves of every bit of support and protection that they could derive from the pagan governments under which they lived. There wouldn't be a thing wrong with us being a 501c3 church. We are not a 501c3 church because we have not submitted such and such form to the U.S. government for them to make a ruling that we are a tax-exempt organization because the IRS code states that a church, by definition, without without petitioning or asking for such a ruling, is already tax-exempt. Simply by identifying yourself as a church. And I don't blame the IRS. I think the IRS is far too loose, but I'm thankful for their looseness. Because there are too many political organizations and other non-profits and other for-profit organizations that call themselves a church in order to avoid taxation by our government and its voluntary system of taxation. Wouldn't bother us a bit. It wouldn't be a thing wrong with us being 501c3. We are not giving up any of our sovereignty under the Lord Jesus Christ at all. We are owning His sovereignty by using kings and queens to be our nursing fathers and nursing mothers. Because who's or who arranged that for us but the God of heaven? There's more about this on our website under the FAQ or the frequently asked question, are you a 501c3 church? It's entirely a matter of church liberty. There will be no sin at all if a church were to seek such a ruling. The only ones that fuss about it are people who have their priorities way out of line with the word of God. I am thankful for all the examples in the Bible of men taking advantage of not so much political loopholes, but legislation that's been given in nations in the past in order to support the church of God by their enablement. It was Cyrus, and it was Ahasuerus, and it was others. It was Pharaoh that supported the whole church of God that was down there in Egypt. It was the Apostle Paul appealing to Nero himself over and over in order to protect himself from beatings and whippings and imprisonment and scourgings of Roman emissaries and ambassadors and centurions far removed from the the capital of Rome. Enough said. I'm not going to deal with all of these at depth. I just want you to know we've had people come through our door. I have people write me. I have people ask us, first question, off their tips of their lips and off their fingertips on a keyboard, are you 501c3? You'd think they might want to ask, do you love the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth? Do you believe in the doctrine of the Trinity? And is he the eternal Son of God or the incarnate Son of God? And a few questions like that. Do you believe in salvation by grace or by works? Is baptism by immersion or by sprinkling or pouring? Do you believe the King James Bible? Do you try to live righteous and holy lives? None of those thoughts even matter to them because they really don't care. All that matters to them is that they can take up their spear and go jousting with a windmill. And the windmill is 501c3. Are you willing and able to commune with the other members of this church that work for commercial banks? Are you, brethren, able and willing to commune with church members in this church that work for commercial banks? A group of people in 1984 tried to stop my ordination. See, most of you don't know what goes on, and so you've got to trust me and you've got to listen. 
You don't know what goes on in Christian circles. You don't know what goes on among patriots and their so-called windmills. I mean, their windmills that they call real enemies of state or enemies of this country. When I was to be ordained in 1984, there was a group of people that wanted to stop my ordination because I was a vice president of a commercial bank in this country. They reason like this. These political financial fanatics hate commercial banks because they're a member of the Federal Reserve System and they don't think our country ought to have a central bank. They further reason that central banks rely upon a principle called fractional reserve banking, which can expand the money supply beyond what it could be expanded without such fractional reserve banking. And so banking by its nature is fraudulent because I worked for a bank. I'm fraudulent. Therefore, I had no right to be in the ministry because I worked for a commercial bank. I'm not making a single thing up. Now, we've got brethren in here who work at commercial banks. Should we call for their exclusion? Once we start down this road, then I think anybody that works for KFC should be excluded from this church because they're opening stores in God-hating China. If you're going to get somebody working for a commercial bank, I'm going to get anybody working for KFC because of what they're doing internationally. And once we start down that road, there's no end. There's no Bible verse that got us started down that road, and there's no Bible verse that will stop us from going that down that road until we are all insane. Right. Or all unemployed? Or all excluded. Yes. And you know there's a place for some holy laughter. As long as that holy laughter is tempered this way, we understand that our unity, our love, our affection, our devotion, our commitment is all to the Lord Jesus Christ and apostolic doctrine as found clearly in the New Testament Scriptures. Amen. And the rest of this stuff, we should just laugh at and recommit ourselves inside. I can't believe. In fact, I don't even know if I believe the pastor. Well, you're wrong. It happens. You've got to run into one of these political anarchists who don't really understand banking, who don't really understand money, who don't understand credit, and who don't appreciate the fact that because of the expansion of the money supply, we are living right well right now. Is there going to be a day when that piper gets paid? There will be a day. But I'll tell you, the Lord's put that day off for decade after decade after decade when they said it, the piper would be paid. And we are, we are living so well in the year 2013 I'm still thankful. And so we pray for our government. And when we pray for wisdom for our leaders, we pray that they might at some point start to restrain the expansion of our money supply. But as Christians, we don't really care. We can't influence it. We pray about it. And we go ahead and use their expansion, as all of you are. Do you know what it costs for a dozen Krispy Kreme donuts right now? I found out recently. The simple glazed, eight bucks. Do you know what it cost when Jeff Foley came to town? Sixty cents. Now, how can something go up thirteen times? But do you know what? You can still buy a dozen glazed for only a few minutes worth of work. Right. You say, but sometime the piper is going to be paid. That's why we pray for our government. Amen. And until then, we use it. Do you know every foreign government that our people were under in the past, there was the risk of war that would, that would take their sons, that would take their daughters, that would take their homes. There was all kinds of risks. We pray for our leaders and we use what they provide for us. Bible quizzing. 
Bible quizzing, it's a church liberty. It's a church liberty whether a church participates in Bible quizzing or not, as long as it's the King James Version. You know, if it wasn't the King James Version, we'd have a problem with it. It's a personal liberty, whether any child participates or does not participate in such quizzing. See, as a pastor, I get asked these questions. Are my children required to participate in Bible quizzing? No, they're not. But I'd like to recommend it for this reason, this reason, this reason, and this reason, as your pastor. And so I want to point out that Bible quizzing isn't a requirement of this church. Those that quiz should not badger those that do not. Do all the children hear me that quiz? You shouldn't badger anyone that's not quizzing. And those that don't quiz shouldn't despise or mock those that do. You know, there's often ability or character deficiencies that cause some to dislike such quizzing. If you can't memorize, then you don't like Bible quizzing. Just That's just automatic. You know, and you might think that the children are only learning these verses in rote. They don't really understand what they're what those verses mean, and I would like to see you become a parent and teach children of that age what those verses mean. Because first of all, we start with the basic knowledge of what's on the printed page, and then we come to the understanding of the meaning over time, and do you know how long it takes? Our entire lives, and then we get to meet the Lord knowing that one-third of the Bible we don't know what it means. Right. It's not quite that bad. But there's still unknown parts to us. And so, if, you, if you're a parent and you think that Bible quizzing doesn't have all the merits that some other parents think that it does, are you going to love the other families that quiz? Or are you going to feel that you're second class in this church because once in a while, Bible quizzing is mentioned from the pulpit, or once in a while it sneaks into a church update? Oh, listen to me very carefully. I'm describing exactly what happens in churches like our church. Because you've made a decision as a father, my children aren't going to be in Bible quizzing, and you see an update, does anything happen to the hairs on the back of your neck? Does anything happen to your spirit? Do you get irritated and think to yourself, there's the pastor pushing Bible quizzing? Pushing Bible quizzing by announcing it? I push deer hunting too, I guess. But I don't, I don't hunt deer. I'll eat your deer. But I don't hunt deer. But because I mention it in a church update, am I pushing deer hunting? It's amazing how people read the updates. Do you know why they read them that way? Because they're actually in the last two verses of Psalm 120 on the side of war. I'm speaking peace by encouraging and commending those that Bible quiz. I'm not saying anything about those that don't quiz. There's no little sentence at the end of my paragraph, and we all hate those that don't quiz. It's not implied and it's not stated. How do you read the updates? Why is somebody else mentioned for sickness when I'm sick and I'm not mentioned? Why are you for war? Why are you for war? Why aren't you for peace? Why don't you drop to your knees and pray for the person that's sick? That's the only way you're going to get better. And on and on it goes. You know, I mentioned someone's deer, and if I forget someone's deer or overlook it, I better stop right now. Adam Green got a big deer this past week. Because I put my father in there for getting a deer, and if I don't have an update with Adam Green in it, then somebody's going to think that I'm showing nepotism in the reverse direction by honoring my father by mentioning his deer and not mentioning Adam's deer that was twice as big as my... I'm sorry, Dad. 
I guess now I'm guilty of another sin. Let's, brethren, do we all love each other? Amen. Orville, thank you very much for Psalm 120. I consider that from God Himself through you. Those last two verses, Saul and David were brothers in the church of God, weren't they? And Saul was for war, and David was for peace. David would have done anything for Saul. And Saul did everything he could to try to kill David in the same church of God. How do you read the updates? How do you think about anything that's announced in the pulpit? If I mention someone, why are you thinking about yourself? Do you all understand that out of 140 people, you are the least important person of the 140? That all 139 should be mentioned before any mention is ever made of you? And if you don't understand that, there's no evidence that you have eternal life. If you don't understand that, because those who have eternal life understand that Jesus comes first and others come second because our religion is this simple, the love of God and the love of others. We should be thankful that everyone else is being mentioned. We should pray for them. We should commend them. And we should never be thinking about ourselves. We joined this church on that basis. I come to this church to love and to serve, not to be loved and to be served. Jesus did not come to be loved and to be served. Jesus came to love and to serve. And, it, and all that, that's spiritual maturity. And see, as long as you have spiritual maturity, there's never any differences over these things. Playing cards. Some say playing cards are a caricature of the gospel invented by the devil to blaspheme Jesus Christ. Looking hard enough on the internet, you might be able to find a website that says that. Others say, since playing cards are used to gamble, that they are condemned by their association. Others, and there's lots of websites for this particular point, others say that playing cards are a wonderful device for presenting the gospel to others. Oh, you ought to see them. Here we go. An ace. God is above every king. King. Jesus Christ is king of kings. Queen. The church is the queen. You know, and the the bride of Christ. And write down two, two testaments. Three, the Holy Trinity. Oh, you, you gotta see it. They'll present the whole gospel. So you know, as a, as a pastor, I just get torn. You know, I'm, I'm holding on to two ropes and there's wild horses on this side and there's wild horses on that side and I'm shaking and trying to hold them together. Are playing cards for presenting the gospel or are playing cards a caricature of the gospel? I'll tell you what playing cards are. They're little pieces of cardboard with numerical values associated with each one for games of probability. That's all they are. You say, well, what if I have, what if I have a deck of cards, all 52 of them with four jacks sitting in a coffee table? Is the devil leaking out? Playing cards. In this church, Pastor, have you had to face that one in this church? Yes. I've defended every single one of you that use playing cards to ever play a game at home. What does it do to you, Pastor, when someone comes and confronts you about something like that? I want to pull my hair out, and I want to pull their hair out. You say, that doesn't sound scriptural. Then you need to read Nehemiah chapter 13, verse 25. I want to curse them in the name of the Lord. Why can't you love the Lord Jesus Christ? What do you want us to do? Take a cardboard box and cut it up into 52 pieces that have no pictures on them or any design 
and just write two, three, four, five, and hearts, spades, clubs, and and so forth. Anyway, it's, it's it's all ridiculous. I hope we can all laugh about these, but I want to tell you something. I want to hit everything that I possibly can so you can say, wow, you know what? There are little things that irritate me, and I just want to ignore them like Jews and Greeks, like bond and free, like male and female, because we're all one in Christ. Amen. That's the goal of, of going through any of this. There's nothing religious about playing cards, and they do not have to be used in dens of gambling. Should we start worrying about the marbles and jacks that boys used to play in elementary school a couple generations ago? See, I played marbles and jacks. Should we worry about those? Once you start down a path that doesn't have a Bible verse, once you start down it, what will stop you from going to even a further extreme position? We must have Bible in order to establish anything that we're going to condemn as Christians. We must have plain Bible passages. Or we allow it as a liberty. Because once you start down an unguided path in the dark, because this is the law of liberty, and this is the light for our feet, if you start down a path that doesn't have Bible, you are in darkness. Where will you end up? And like the Lord Jesus Christ I don't even go, I don't go online to research playing cards. All I do is point out to the people that want to condemn others for something like that, all of the superstitious, devilish things that they have on their own persons at that time or in their houses. Remember, you've always got the one dollar bill, don't we? You've always got this, and I'm giving this to you for wisdom. Can you see that sweet little thing? That is the all-seeing eye of Horus over a truncated pyramid from Egypt. And they all carry them. And yet they want to pick on playing cards. Because they're hypocrites, just like Jesus said. Ye hypocrites! You'll pick on my apostles because they didn't wash their hands, but you'll make up a loophole to get out of the commandment, honor thy father and thy mother. Cell phones. They may wisely be called sin phones for the increased temptation they provide youth. And I ask you to refer to the study that I did a few months ago in a Wednesday evening service about what's happened in the last hundred years with technological advances that create greater temptations for us and our youth. That's why I refer to them as sin phones. Not that it's a sin to have one, but they lead to more sin very easily. And so every one of us should be very careful. It's a matter of liberty, though, whether you have them. I hate the things. My wife has one. But I hate them. I don't like to hear the words that they're a necessity, except for professionals who need to be available for anyone to get a hold of them. When men function relatively fine without them for 6,000 years, it's hard for me to grasp the word necessity. Consistency requires those that fear or hate television to make sure that they're as critical of cell phones. Just a warning for us all to be consistent. When we think about all these different things, I want us to be consistent. I don't want to pick on playing cards when I'm walking around with the all-seeing eye of Horus on pieces of paper imprinted in my pocket. And when, if you're going to rail on television, make sure that you're looking at the other electronic devices that allow the world into your home as fast or faster because it's in private than the television does. You know, if there's one television in your house, 
It's centrally located and it's hard to watch that thing and get something from it that parents can't oversee. But cell phones can be taken anywhere and can be in access, in access the world or access worldly friends and you don't know it because they're not in a centrally located place. I just want you all to be consistent. I want you to think about the fact of what I taught you on technological sins. 150 years ago, for people who lived in the country, just 150 years ago, for people who lived in the country, living and the lifestyle was no different than it was to Adam and Eve's children and to Noah's children. It is incredible. I want you to think about it. It scares the daylights out of me for all of you. In 100 years. Remember how I started out with the phonograph? And we just kept going and we just kept going until now there's these little smartphones. And do you know what smart means? I can get any sin you want right now. That's what smart means. Okay. See, all I wanted to do was just warn you that there's some people that have a conscience problem about cell phones. And there's those that don't care, and I want all of us to care, and I want us all to be consistent. Children in sports. You know, I've met Christians that have confronted me about organized sports for their children. My response is, if you want your children to grow up as nerds without any athletic competition, that's your liberty. And I'm not making a statement about mine. You say, well, you just made fun of us as nerds. Come on, can't you laugh? What's your problem? God doesn't care if your child plays t-ball, pee-wee, football, or soccer. Go ahead and freely choose whichever one you want. God commands that His nurture and admonition be taught to children. And beyond that, there's great latitude for their other activities. Be consistent. I'm not going to let you be inconsistent if I can help it. Be consistent if you condemn organized sports. Playing ball in the yard might be wrong as well because it must be the ball or the glove or the bat. Be consistent if you condemn organized sports because other organized hobbies might be wrong as well. Can you take a Bible and prove to me that being a member of the band is righteous while being a member of the volleyball team is wicked? Can you prove that to me? from? Well, I like music. I said prove it to me from a Bible. Well, music is noble and volleyball is not. Prove that to me from a Bible. Music in general. And we've had members in this church that thought that it was extremely carnal and they would not do it with their children, allow them to participate in organized sports. You don't have to wonder who that is because the history of this church is long and many of those people that had their own personal and private and pharisaical agendas are no longer with us. So when I say that, just trust me that I'm not lying to you and that if you need a name, just come and ask me afterwards and if I feel that it would be appropriate, I'll give you a name. Child discipline. You know, look at Proverbs 29 and verse 15. Proverbs 29 and verse 15. Is child discipline a matter of Christian liberty? Yes and no. Proverbs 29 and verse 15. The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. The rod and reproof give wisdom. When should you apply the rod? How big should the rod be? 
How many times should you apply the rod? Should you let them cry while the rod's being applied? It doesn't tell us any of that, does it? Why doesn't it tell us any of that? Because it's the, the law of liberty. The Lord's telling you the devices that need to be used for the proper training of children, but he doesn't tell us when, how much, how thick, how many times, or when, or it doesn't tell us. And it puts the rod first. Do you beat him first, then tell him what the rules are? Or are you supposed to exercise some sanctified common sense? The rod and reproof give wisdom. But a child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. What's a child that's left to himself? Never fed, never clothed, the bed's never made, the laundry's never done? Or is it a child that doesn't get the rod and the reproof that they're supposed to get? But we're not told when. We're not told how. We're not told how many. Some use of the reproof and the rod is required, but the degree of both is a liberty. And we all want to learn as much as we can from each other so that we're close to each other in this church so there's not significant differences as, as much as we can help because we all want to be wise. Fathers are going to range from hard and harsh to permissive and soft, yet they may not have sinned because the words permissive and soft are just as subjective as the words hard and harsh. Right. <laughs> and guess what? The hard and harsh are going to think those that are average are permissive and soft. And those that are not really permissive and soft, but average, are going to think that the more severe are hard and harsh because it's subjective terminology that we use for one another. Christian parents must learn to allow wide latitude in how children are raised and trained. Because we're all different. God's made us all different. It may be those who have not trained children or who have failed at it are the most vocal. But those who are strict with their children are also tempted to despise permissive parents. So no one in the church is going to raise and train their children just like you do. And that needs to be kept in mind. They're not going to do it the way you do it. They're not going to do it the way I do it. I don't preach personal liberty on those things. I just try to preach the Word of God. I know that the rod's supposed to be used. I may say that I wish it had been used a little bit earlier and a little bit harder on me, but I'll thank the Lord for the eventual outcome, I guess, as your pastor. Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction will drive it far from him. The Bible says that, so you have inspired advice on how to get foolishness out of a child. It is with a rod. And we believe that, and I preach it. And I don't hold back. But as to when you apply that rod, how much mercy you show, when you show mercy, how big of a rod, how many times you apply it. You know, could, could a parent be abusive in applying the rod? Yes. Could a magistrate in Israel be abusive in applying the rod? So what was the limit in the Word of God? Forty stripes. Lest you be abusive in the eyes of the person being punished or others. So there was a limit. Aren't you glad, children? Child discipline. It's going to vary. And we're going to allow that. If we see children that are doing things 
you know, that are contrary to the gospel. If we see children that are unruly, we're going to go after those parents because it's not going to be tolerated because children have to be trained not to be unruly. Foolishness must be driven out of them because the Bible says so. But until we get to that, we allow a great, quite a degree of latitude. And much more can be said on every one of these. Do you know that? There is a whole, there's a whole spectrum from the most severe to the least and where a father can fall and he still falls within righteousness. Because there's examples in the Bible of the extremes. And as long as you're inside those extremes, can you think of an extreme in the Bible on the side of permissiveness? David was, David never even asked Adonijah what he was up to in his life, even though he was committing sedition. How about Eli? You know, would not stop his sons who were priests. He had two obligations as a father and as the high priest to stop his sons from the abominations that they were committing in the tabernacle worship. Then there's a, then there's a father like Saul who out in the day of battle tells his people because he's so, he's so profane at every turn, the apostle, I mean, the, the, the king Saul was profane. He said, nobody can eat or drink a thing at all this day until all my enemies are destroyed. Well, who ate something that day? His son David. What did he want to do to his son for eating a little bit of honey to have his eyes enlightened and to get an, some energy from those carbohydrates in order to kill more Philistines? What did he want to do to Jonathan? Kill him. The whole nation was wiser. And what they say? Not a, you're not going to lay a hand on him. We've had a great victory today. So there's these extremities. And we want to be right in the center. And, and that center is not going to be a pinpoint. We want to be in the center. We don't want to be Eli. We don't want to be David. We don't want to be Saul. We want to be in the center. Child discipline. Chiropractic. Chiropractic. This alternative form of medicine with limited scientific evidence of validity is quite popular. You say it sounds like you're making a statement. How do you know? I just said some facts about it. Some claim that it derives from Eastern religion and has an occult witchcraft connection. Do you mean to tell me, Pastor, that you've had church members come to you and want to know why church members are going to chiropractors when it's associated with the occult? Absolutely I have. And I've defended you people who want to go get your backs manipulated every week for the rest of your life. You say, it sounds like you're making a statement. Well, why don't you come and ask me who in my family's been to a chiropractor? To make it simple to condemn this or similar aspects of alternative medicine, the easy way to do it is to call it New Age. I consider New Age a liberty itself because anybody who uses it doesn't know what it means and is simply using it as a slur word to take anything they don't like and cast it under this umbrella of worshiping Buddha. Something coming from the East that is alternative and new and it's part of pagan religion. It's, it's associated with witchcraft. Let's call it New Age. And so I get confronted. Why do you allow chiropractic medicine and church members to go to chiropractors when it's New Age? Well, what does that mean? Is this a New Age? I know we've got microwaves and no one ever had them before. Is that New Age? What do you mean by new age? I get disgusted hearing the words new age. It's a cop out. Right. You know, we get accused of being a cult. Catholics love to call us a cult. 
You want to talk about the biggest religious cult in the free world? It's Roman Catholicism. They can tell you when you can't eat meat. They can tell their priests they can't have a wife. They can tell you to get down on your hands and knees and crawl over there and get yourself a candle. They can tell you every time you cross, cross a church door or pass a church door, you've got to do this. They'll tell you you've got to get down and genuflect against the leftovers from communion that are stuck in a little house where God's been locked up. They're a cult. Right. I'm using that word cult to compare it to the word new age. In order to continue enjoying your perceived benefits of going to a chiropractor, don't go online. Just keep going. That's your pastor's position. Because somebody in there is going to call it new age, and then you're going to have a conscience problem. I'm trying to save you from a conscience problem. Circumcision. God doesn't care if you're circumcised or not after the end of the Old Testament. When did the Old Testament end? With the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and the ministry of John the Baptist. The law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God is preached and every man presseth into it. Paul did circumcise Timothy for audience reasons in Acts chapter 16, but he would not circumcise Titus in Galatians chapter 2 for precedent reasons and doctrinal reasons. There's scientific evidence of blood clotting being highest on the eighth day after birth. Do you know that? Do you know that one of the, one of the neat little evidences that the Bible is the inspired word of God is that the clotting the, the clotting compound in the blood is the highest level at the eighth day after birth. And the Lord required circumcision on the eighth day after birth. And you know, that, that's neat. Does it give you a warm and fuzzy feeling? I, I'm going to admit, it gives me a warm and fuzzy feeling. Does that mean that every boy needs to be hacked? Does my warm and fuzzy feeling mean that every boy needs to be hacked? No, it doesn't. There may or may not be cosmetic value in circumcision based on the eye of the beholder. Who gives a rip? You know, it's, it's your private liberty, and I hope you will keep that one private. <laughs> you know how serious this was in the past? Do you know how serious this was in the past? How did the Greeks perform in the Olympics and their, their athletic competitions? What state of clothing? Nude. Were the Greeks circumcised? No. For Jewish athletes that wanted to compete with the Greeks, what did they have? They had another little operation back there 2,000 years ago. They'd get a foreskin sewn back on. Just go Google it. Only if you're mature. I don't even know if it's mature to Google it. I'm telling you the truth. That's how important circumcision was. Ah, What does the Bible say? Listen to these words. And this is to Jehovah's institution that lasted 2,000 years. Circumcision is nothing. Uncircumcision is nothing but keeping the commandments of God. 1 Corinthians 7, 19. I love the Bible. Christian schools. Christian schools. Have I ever had to defend some of you for sending your children to Christian schools? Indeed I have. We have had people furious with you good families that sent your children to Christian schools. Their logic was so twisted it's hard to fully grasp it in order to restate it without ridiculing it. Since most Christian schools are Arminian, they reason, they thought it was compromising with our doctrine. 
I wonder if they found sovereign grace baseball teams for their children. If you ask them about their children in pagan colleges, they say, well, they're old enough. Now that's cute, and that may give you a warm and fuzzy feeling that there is some age of accountability in which you can send a child to a pagan institution. But where is it in the Bible? See how strict I am about wanting to go with the Bible? Where is it in the Bible? You say, well, that's just assumed in the Bible. Well, I don't assume anything outside the Bible. It's not assumed in the Bible. Because in the Bible, they would tend to send their children away sooner than we've ever thought of sending our children away. And just a few generations ago, we would send children away to apprenticeship programs far younger than 18 years of age when we send them off to a college. And I mean that locally for us. If you ask them about their children working with Arminians, they conveniently end the debate because they hadn't thought of that before. You know, you can't go to a Christian school because they teach Arminianism there. But you can go over here and cut so-and-so's lawn, and you can go over here and have such-and-such a job where they're not even Arminians, they are atheists. Inconsistency. Remember the Lord Jesus Christ's method. His method was not to try to reason with these people, but to point out their hypocrisy. I hope I've taught you something about that, because once you start down the road thinking that you're sharper than they are when they've thought about their arguments and you haven't, they're probably going to take advantage of you. So just show them their inconsistency. Other parents, because they had fun in the public school, think they are downright terrific. Long ago, this church had families in it, that communed with us, that professed to love the Lord Jesus Christ and loved public education. They worked in the public schools. They thought the rest of us were ridiculous to send children to Christian schools and waste all that money and go without all the benefits of the public education system. I mean, we have bigger gyms than you. We have all our stuff paid for, and especially homeschoolers. I mean, homeschoolers are going to grow up totally deluded and totally deficient in every bit of wisdom that the public schools can teach. We've had them before. If you need help, for those of you that are older members, come and see me. I'm not talking about anyone recent. School options are a matter of liberty that requires more or less out of fathers. Is that a safe way to put it? School options are a matter of liberty, and it's going to require more or less, and you should be able to figure out the more or less rather easily. If fathers have their children home and get to control their environment and the content of their education and see them more often, then they're not going to have to put forth as much effort after school because after school is just part of school if they're homeschooled. If it's a Christian school, then you're assigning other Christians to teach some level of content that includes God and the Bible and other issues of morality and Bible commandments. If you send them to public school, they're going to be taught there is no God, this earth evolved, and everything in it, and there's really no absolute right or wrong. It's just what you think, children. Let's go around the room and ask what we think of Charles Manson. And if there's 20 students in the room, by the time you get done, there's 30 opinions on what ought to happen to Charles Manson because one loop around the room would give the children in the second round another idea that they heard from some other intelligent fellow student. That's that's teaching today. Children, Charles Manson, 
Here, here's a picture of him. Here's what he did to Sharon Tate and the others. What do you think? That's education today. What do you think? Because every way of a man is right in his own eyes. Right. And do you know what we think? God is right. Amen. And his lamp shall be put out in obscure darkness. Let him flee to the pit. Because that's what the Bible says about anyone that takes the life of another person. So school options, you know, that's a very sensitive issue. It's a big issue. It's a big investment. It's very crucial to, to the training of our children of how we do it. It's a big part of it. It's a matter of liberty. We will allow and defend any choice of schooling by parents, but training your children is not an option, and it is not a liberty. Clothing, and I'm not to modesty yet. Clothing. There is much liberty in clothing, because God doesn't think like the Amish or the Mennonites. Amish clothes and Mennonite clothes are not Bible clothes. There's nothing in the Bible that says you have to look so ridiculous. And they do look ridiculous. They do far more harm than they do good with their ridiculous outfits. They act like it's Halloween 365 days a year. Sarah never wore any ridiculous lampshade like that. How in the world did Pharaoh know that, that Sarah was a good a woman that was beautiful to look upon? Should we go with the Muslims? Because they're more modest than the Amish and the Mennonites. All you get of a Muslim woman is a slit. And unless you're using binoculars, you can't even tell what eye Well, you know what eye color she has, don't you? It's ridiculous. It's not taught in the Bible. Right. Women were beautiful in the Bible. And they dressed appropriately. And they dressed accordingly. And it says so in Proverbs chapter 31 about the virtuous woman. Have you read it? Do you know that it's in the Bible? But that's not their emphasis. Their emphasis was on their spirit. They had a meek and quiet spirit so that Sarah, the beautiful woman, who dressed to be beautiful, but not to draw immodest or lustful thoughts or, or looks toward her, would also call her husband Lord. Because she had the Bible balance. She was a holy woman. Abraham didn't tell Sarah, make sure you wear your bonnet today so that Pharaoh will think you're ugly. Abraham said to Sarah, tell him I'm your brother. Because he knew what problem he had in his hands. She was a good looking woman. You know, Abraham's servant didn't arise, didn't find Rebecca at the well with just a slit. The Holy Spirit tells us she was very beautiful to look upon a well-favored of the Lord. Liberty allows you to be stupid and to wear unconventional clothing. If it satisfies modesty, you're only hurting yourself. You're not helping God. I hope that you can have a balanced attitude toward these things and derive that balanced attitude from the Bible. Dresses are usually more modest than pants, but there's no Bible rule to require either. I'll get to that. Fathers can make their rules for wives and daughters, and all others should respect them for that. Wisdom knows that there are conventions for various events, settings, or audiences that dictate a different type of clothing for each, and wise people will do that. Coffee and tea. You say, coffee and tea? Why would you bring up coffee and tea? The two fastest-growing so-called Christian denominations in the world forbid their members from drinking coffee or tea. Or sodas. Can you imagine what type of words they would have from the Bible for us when they saw some of you in the pew sucking on your energy drinks? 
Seventh-day Adventists and Mormons will not touch any of those beverages. It is an issue of conscience and religion and standing before God. Once you condemn Bible wine, you know, like a Seventh-day Adventist, it's only inconsistency that keeps you from condemning more. Because once we start down a path condemning things that God hasn't condemned, it's easy to start condemning other things. And so we always want to be careful and we always want to be consistent. What's wrong with a stimulant? You know, they don't think that anybody should put a stimulant in their bodies. Are some of you thankful for stimulants? Oh. Jonathan sure took advantage of it. Now, I've mentioned him already, so you know what I'm talking about. He dipped in the honey and put it in his mouth. And you know what it says? His eyes were enlightened. He was exhausted after fighting. Anybody taken up a four-pound sword and flung it for a couple of hours like this for your life? That means you fling it kind of intensely. You're tired. A dab of honey in your mouth with nothing else, it goes in fast. And his eyes were enlightened. It was a stimulant in the Bible. What consternation they would have if they saw us. You say, well, I just don't think it's right for these teenagers to be drinking energy drinks. Send me your Bible study. You say, but I can go online and find out that they're hazardous to your health. How many gallons a day for how many decades? Let me come over and sit at your house and I'll pick on ten things that you eat that are absolutely absurd by modern science. On and on. People go, I don't care if you drink energy drinks. That's up to every parent. You know, if you're going to energize yourself so much that you die at 68 instead of 70, I'll bet you'll get twice as much done between 0 and 68. I just want you to think and laugh about it. Do you know what we're not going to laugh about? The Lord Jesus Christ and apostolic doctrine. We're not going to compromise on that. We're not going to let Presbyterians or other paedo-baptists convince us about infant baptism. Do you know there's Baptist churches in Greenville County that have said we'll take any baptism? That's disgusting. That's shameful. We'll never do that. We will not compromise. Those are not liberties. The Bible has plainly stated about those particular things. That's enough. Let's take a break. You can go have your coffee and tea, get your stimulating beverages, and we'll trust that we can have a second assembly that would be glorifying to God. I want the God of heaven to know in the Lord Jesus Christ that we're going through this list to show Him that we don't care about these things and that we love peace and that we love unity and that we love one body, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and these things are not going to divide us. We are going to love one another in spite of these things. We are going to allow differences and we are going to restrain our own liberties for the glory of God. That's why I'm preaching it. Amen.